Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. My family, I noticed that we love to feed people. And that's just who we are. It's not like we like to have parties, but we do like to feed people because we love good food, but that's our love language is that when we get to bless others with food, it's like it, it makes us smile when we see people enjoying what we have to offer. But the challenge is we love to have people, but the challenge is our house gets messy. I don't know if you guys have that problem. If you have kids, hopefully you understand. But um, like my son has his sports, and he has his sports and socks all over the place. My daughter has her crafts and baking and stuff to place. My wife has her stuff. And I don't even want to get into my hobbies, but I have a wood shop and, you know, handyman fixing and tools all over the place. So when we have a guest over, it's like, oh, we got to get ready. And we start cleaning up. You guys don't have that problem, right? Uh, <laughs> we get ready. It's like for a few hours before the guests arrive, we hustle to remove all the things as if we keep the house clean all the time. But, you know, it's an image. But we prepare for the guests to come. But I noticed something. That when there is a VIP coming, when we have uh, certain individuals who's coming who are more important to us, the effort rises up. You guys know what I'm talking about? So my mother, a couple of years back, she was read to, she was in Virginia, and she calls me up and said, we're going to come visit you in Florida. And I was like, yes. At the same time, oh, no, where would she stay? Like, our bedroom? Now we got to clean up our bedroom and, and clean up. And... But we were thinking not just about cleaning the house, it's everything else from the food, the menu, getting the ingredients that we don't normally stock in our pantry. We were talking going grocery shopping to find like hard to find Korean ingredients so that my mom will have the dishes that she needs. The more important the guest, the higher level of the effort. And it's not a trouble for our family. It wasn't no trouble at all because that was our heart to bless my mother, to welcome her, to feel accommodated. But we put in the extra effort, the more important our guest. I want to tell you that when somebody important is ready to come to your house, maybe your heart gets ready. Maybe you prepare the setting, what you need to get done to welcome the important person in your life. We're continuing in the Statement of Faith sermon series where in the past several weeks, we've looked at our Statement of Faith. And we are doing this sort of as a um, launch pad for our future leaders training. We are revising our Statement of Faith. We are outlining who we are as a resting place church and what we believe. So any leader, any servant who comes to our church, they know exactly who we are, what we are all about. So we went very specifically to how we feel about the Scripture, what we believe about the one true God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the salvation, and what it means to be a biblical church. We've been going through that in the last several weeks. Today, we're going to look at this statement. 
this statement, we believe Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead of the just and unjust and establish his rule as the Lord and King in the new heavens and the new earth. That statement, we believe Jesus will return. Jesus, the King of Kings, God himself will return. We're going to look at that statement today, what that means for us, what that means for our church, and how we ought to respond. Okay? So we believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself, will return. How do we know that? Because he said so. He promised so. And he will come again to judge all things and establish his kingdom. This return of Jesus will come to judge and establish his rule. We call that, and the big theological word is eschatology, the end-time study. Okay, And there's a lot of debates. Believe me, I was thinking about, actually, I have pages and pages of the sermon that I actually removed to not complicate you. Because there are so many complicated, deep, debatable theological views. But I want to get to the heart of what we believe. And if you want to have a conversation with me, this is a great opportunity for you to ask the questions and we can discuss it further outside of this you know, worship context. But what makes this eschatology and debatable is that the prophetic words come from not just one text, but many texts. Words of Jesus, specifically Matthew 24, 25, uh, the book of Isaiah, book of Daniel, book of Revelations. And none of these one books tells a full story, but they give you snapshots. And what makes it even more complicated is that the prophetic writings or prophetic words can be very visual, it can be symbolic, or it can be literal. How do you read through all that? Is it literal or symbolic? And it's hard to tell sometimes. It's like having a dream. You have this dream, you wake up, and you know there's something there. It's like, it's not your bad burrito you had before you went to bed. It's like, you know the vivid dream was something deep, something profound, and God is trying to speak to you in some way, and you're like, what does that mean? So what do you do? You tell your friend about it, and your friend starts interpreting the dream for you and say, oh, that boulder on the mountain, that's Jesus. And he, and, and, but as you listen, you might think, I really thought that boulder meant a boulder on a mountain, and you know, you had a more literal sense, like I'm looking, I'm supposed to go look for that boulder because that's what you saw. But another person would say, well, there's a symbolic interpretation. Well, how do you know? Well, you don't, not until after it passes. In hindsight, prophecies make sense because if it had happened, if it had passed, we can say that happened literally or it happened symbolically because we know how Jesus fulfilled these prophecies literally or symbolically. But when it comes to the future, the end times, that hasn't happened because we're not in it yet, right? <laughs> it's hard to tell. So there are some things that are debatable. But we can have a better idea of what that looks like. What we know absolutely is that Jesus will return. Absolutely. Full confidence. 
Why? Because Jesus said in uh, John 14, 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Then Matthew 24, uh, he talks about the tribulations, about the end times. And then he said in verse 30, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, talking about Jesus, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven and with power and great glory. There are some literal prophetic words and symbolic prophetic words. Sometimes we're not sure what that is going to look like. It's difficult to interpret. But what we know is that Jesus promised to return. But that raises a lot of questions of how will he return? Where will he return to? And, but the big question is, when will he return? Even the disciples, when Jesus talked about the end times in Matthew 24, 25, coming out of the temple, if you read that account, there's a lot of descriptions. And Jesus paints the picture and the disciples asked Jesus, but when will this happen? To which he answered, no one knows. Not even the Son, but only the Father. Meaning, nobody knows. Not even Jesus. Well, he probably knows now, but you know, because he ascended to heaven. But what gets me, what's comical, is that there are so many people in, uh, I want to say cults, who proclaim that they know. They know more than Jesus. <laughs> if somebody proclaims to know more than Jesus, you probably not want to listen to them. Just saying. But concerning his return, Jesus paints a picture like, it's going to be a time when you are least expecting. And he talks about like, it would be like the days of Noah, right? If you remember the days of Noah, people were going in their daily life, having parties, eating, drinking, giving their kids to marriage. They weren't expecting a ca catastrophic event to happen until Noah entered the ark. To the very day, people were not expecting a, a storm. I don't even know if they knew about a rainfall. But, like, they probably thought Noah was crazy. No one knew until the time when it happened. And he, Jesus paints even a bigger picture. It's like a thief coming at, at night. When do you know the thief is coming? You don't know. Because had you known, you would have prepared your house to defend yourself, get an alarm system. I don't know. But you would prepare if you knew that the thief was coming. But Jesus promised he'll come like a thief in the night when you're least expecting. We know that Jesus will return. We just don't know when. His point was this. You need to get ready. You need to prepare yourself. Because you don't know, you need to be ready at all times for any situation. And this is a scary thought, right? Because when Jesus returns, he says he's going to judge. He's going to judge the just and the unjust, the living and the dead for all times. He's going to incorporate, he's going to bring in the new kingdom, new heaven and the new earth. I mean, but he's going to judge first. He's, there's a lot of descriptions of he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. 
those who look like each other look like believers, but he's going to separate the goat. And if you remember my sermon about sheep and the goat, the goats are already independent. I'll do it my way. The sheep follow the shepherd. He's going to separate the, the weed. And oh my gosh, there are so many descriptions about the separations and the judging. And I will say that nobody likes to think about this, but it's scary. Why? Because there are moments, because we don't think of Jesus as someone scary. We think of Jesus as this most compassionate, loving God who came to save us, not to condemn us, not to judge us, but to deliver us from evil, right? So we don't think of Jesus as the one who is scary. In fact, God, doesn't he, didn't he come to die so that we could live? Yeah. But have you ever considered that this grace has an expiration date? Have you ever considered that, yeah, he has given us an opportunity to turn and repent and, so that we might be saved, but there's an expiration date to that offer? It's scary. But here's another scary thing. Yeah, I'm just like, let's dig it deeper. In our Western 21st century church, we don't think of judging. We look at, I mean, we look at Romans 10, 10, 9, and it says, if we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We hold to that, and it is true. So we confess, we make it easy for the church to believe, to come to Jesus. And here's what I've seen people do. We confess Jesus. I've seen people confess Jesus and then never come to church. And what do they say? Oh, I believe in Jesus. I just don't believe in the institution of the church. Or I believe in Jesus, but this faith thing is very personal for me. And so you see no fruit. You see no growth. And I wonder, I wonder, I'm not judging. I just wonder, are they truly saved? I wonder if what they confess with their mouth is truly what they believe in their heart. Have we made evangelism so simple, so easy, that people take it for granted, this weight of what Jesus has done on that cross with his body, with his death? And we just think of it as a religion. That I'll take it but there's no fruit. And here's something scary that Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In the end times, Jesus is going to separate the sheep and the goats. He's going to separate the believers from the unbelievers, the, the living and the dead. He's going to separate. He's going to judge all. But to some, he's going to say, I never knew you. 
but they're going to be confused. There are going to be people who are con- literally confused. But Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do mighty miracles? Didn't we heal in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Lord, hello, I did your work. And he's going to say, I never knew you. That blows my mind. These are profound spirit manifestations of God. Like, you cast out demons. You can't do it on your own. You got to do it in the name of Jesus. Yet, the Lord can say, yeah, you did miracles, but I never knew you because you didn't know me. You knew religion. You knew how to work, but you didn't know me personally. Yeah, you prophesied, but I never knew you. You were saying mere words. This scares me. I don't know about you. It scares me. Because there will be people who face Jesus, you know, in that judgment time, thought that they were secured for heaven because they did the mighty works of God. And yet Jesus will say, I never knew you. Did that scare anyone? It scared me. Because Jesus is not going to be mocked. He won't be fooled. We might be fooled. Oh, gosh. I, I, I want to go off tangent here, but I want to be true to the word. We get fooled all the time. We get scammed all the time. Credit card companies, get, they get scammed. I got scammed online the other day. I, it, seriously, I, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I got scammed. We get fooled all the time because we believe what people say or do. We want to give them the benefit of the doubt. But God knows. He is going to return and he will judge. And he says, for the church, for the people, get ready. And we have to take the words urgently. I want you to know that, and we we talked about this last week, the devil makes this world full of distractions. He gives you like amusement park of rides and fun things to distract us, and we don't even know we are lost. I talked about that in a greater depth last week. Sometimes we're so distracted we don't know we are lost. And Jesus said he will return, and you will not know the time. His return was so imminent to his disciples. When the disciples heard the words of Jesus, they really believed that he, was, he would return in their own lifetime, in the first century. They believed. Now, 2,000 years later, the church maybe have forgotten this, have neglected this, because I don't see the urgency as the early church acted in faith. Getting ready, getting his neighbors, getting his family ready for the return of Christ to take them up. Matthew 24, 44, Jesus said, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We have to be ready. We have to prepare ourselves, and we have to prepare those we love because there will be an expiration date on that offer of grace, salvation, 
for the earth. We believe Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead of the just and unjust and establish his rule as the Lord and King in the new heaven and the new earth. He will return, establish his new, his rule over the, in the, English is my second language. I cannot speak English sometimes. All right. What is the new earth, new heaven and new earth? That comes from Revelation 21, 1 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down of, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Next slide. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Let's leave that up there. Whether we look at this as literal or symbolic, that's actually so beautiful. That's our hope. I, I talked about the scary things of Jesus coming, but really we all have to be anticipating, awaiting, longing for Jesus to come because that's what he wants to bring to us. This new heaven, new earth. I confess, I don't even know what that's going to look like, whether it's literal or metaphoric or symbolic, but it's so beautiful that I, I say, Lord, I don't know, but that glimpse is so much better than what I ever thought. Because it's like God says, the plan I have for you, right? not to harm you, but to, like, I know some of you guys are going through the pains, the tears, the, the heartaches, the sicknesses, cancer. Like, we hate it. Some of us have lost our beloved ones in the last couple of years. We hate it. I want that. I don't know about you, but I want that. Where God says, no more tears, no more mourning. Because no one's going to die. He paints a picture of this new heaven, new earth, where this kingdom, where he will reign and his people, he will be with them. He will dwell among them. I mean, I'm imagining like the Garden of Eden, except better now. With more people, not just two. Fullness, river of life passing through, trees planted, leaves are for healing. I mean, there is such visual Blessings that God wants to pour upon his people to those who are with him. The anticipation of what God wants to give you, to give us, is so beautiful. So we ought to be in anticipation of this new kingdom where he reigns in the new heaven and the new earth. You know, so <laughs> this is where I was like really debating about this, how to bring the theological, right? Because when I read the Bible, uh, like I said, there are different ways of interpreting. There are different ways of reading the scriptures, especially the prophetic words. If you read it very literal, as I often, as I do, I believe in the inerrancy of the word, okay? I believe you guys know me from the church, but if you guys are visiting, like, my theological training, I love God's word, and I believe in the inerrancy of it. 
But there's different ways of reading it, and that is, if you read it very literal, there is this um, graph, if you will. So if this was the cross of Jesus, there is this time of the church movement, and then there's, at some point, there's this rapture, right? God's going to come and take up his people before this tribulation that happens, and there's then there's going to be a thousand years of reign where Jesus, you know, will reign, and Satan is bound, and all that. And I hold to that view. That's a premillennial view. It's a very literal view. But as I read the scripture more, as I get to know God more, I'm coming to realize, man, even the most brilliant theologians and their full grasp of the knowledge that they have to propose, God is beyond that. God goes far more that he cannot be encapsulated just by our limited understanding and graph. You, you guys with me? And so when I look at other views, there's, there's amillennial, postmillennial, there's all these millennial. But, but here, is a, here is what they come to agree. This thousand-year reign, what we call millennial, is when the Lord reigns with a church, walks with a church, where evangelism will be so fruitful. And there is this blessings that happen. And there's different views to that. And I used to think, gosh, they're like such heretics. So, but yeah. But then I'm saying, and, and with utmost humility, guys, utmost humility, I'm seeing the work of God today unprecedented, unlike centuries before. In the last 2,000 years, when we look at the church history of all that happened from the cross to the present in the past 2,000 years, in the last 100 years, these revivals, these spiritual manifestations, these gifts of the Holy Spirit, it is happening unprecedented. It's almost as going back to the first century God apostolic movement. I'm saying I don't know what God is doing. I don't even know what to describe the present day that we are in. Some may dis describe it as a, a thousand-year reign and, and all that. And it blows my mind because I was, I was holding to the premillennial theological views. You, you with me? And now I'm split. I'm just saying, I don't know. But God is God, and we are not. I'm not going to tell him what he can and cannot do based on my theological position. I'm just saying, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you how to believe. I believe in the scripture. There's a literal, symbolic interpretation, but he is coming. And he, that's the picture that he promises to his church. And I'm just saying yes and amen. Yes and amen. I'm saying yes and amen to now, today, for the healings to take place. Just a couple weeks back, we had a sister lump disappeared. He's doing that now. I believe, and this is why we pray. This is why we have the hope. Not because like, oh, when we die, we're going to get into the new heaven and new earth. Our hope is not for when we die. Our hope is now, as we live, to walk with him. Because he knows our hearts. His desire is to walk with you, to bless you, to keep you, to be your father now, not when you die. That's what I'm convinced. That's why we gather as a church to lead one another, to bless one another, to be the body of Christ. My question to you is, 
Is Jesus your VIP? Is Jesus your guest of honor that you are preparing, anticipating, awaiting for his return? That's an honest question. I confess I have guests over and I bless them with a great meal and, you know, have fun and, and we love that. But I know when my mother came, I gave a little extra effort than some of you guys. Not because I love you any less, but she's my mom. You with me? I'm saying when Jesus returns, I'm going to throw a party. I'm anticipating with great anticipation. He is my VIP. Question is, is he yours? And what is your attitude? Because your attitude, how you prepare yourself, how you are anticipating his return, shows whether he's your VIP or not. And if anyone has ever said, hey, my faith is a private thing, you do your thing, Eric, and I do mine, I'm just saying, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 14. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And Mark 8, 38 says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generations of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's consider that. Where does it say your faith is a private thing? It's not biblical. Where does it say that I am not held accountable to what God has given? No, you are called to shine the light that is in you. If you have any light, you don't keep it under a basket. Or you're not a light. It defeats your identity. And if you are ashamed to share, he too will be ashamed of you. These are words that I think the church kind of avoids talking about. But it's the word of Jesus. If you say you believe him, we better get our hearts right with him. We are the light of Jesus. We are the church. Let us shine and glorify him. Amen? We rise, church. Will you put your hand on your heart? And let's just be really honest with God. Sometimes we get distracted where we did not feel the urgency of his return. And confess in your own way, Lord, I am sorry. I have not been waiting or longing for your return. But this promise was so distant, past, that it wasn't relevant for us today. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. I fail to keep your word urgently in my heart to prepare the way, to prepare your people, to either prepare myself or the people around me. 
I fail to recognize the urgency of your return. Give us the boldness to share faith to others. You never called us to, to be quiet, but to testify, to testify to others what you have done in our lives. May your light shine through us. May we not hide. May we not be ashamed. For you are coming. May we seek you with all our hearts, Lord, and to honor you in our communities. Will you lift up your hands high and I'm going to receive, bless you. bless you. The Lord keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord gives his radiance, his glory onto you and his light shines on you. And that the world will see. May you go forth from victory, for victory, into victory. May you go forth and continue to shine and testify of what the Lord has done in your life and prepare the way for his return. Prepare the way that no souls will be lost but come to saving grace and the knowledge of our Lord. Amen. Amen. Bless your church. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.